All right, uh, welcome everyone. We're gonna get started right away. Um, we might have a couple people still jumping in, but uh, you can see the norm slide up on here. Uh, most of you are returners, so you kind of know the drill. The major rule is be nice and assume positive intent. We're here to be collaborative. Um, before we get to our panelists today, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Hans Vandemars, who's going to share a research project they're developing that partially stemmed from the discussions we've had early on in the pandemic and uh, on the collaborative calls. And uh, Hans has promised to keep it under five minutes, a challenge he accepted with Glee. So go ahead, Hans, uh, all yours. Uh, thanks, Risto, for the introduction. Um, actually, what I'm, I'm gonna present in the next uh, four minutes and 28 seconds is actually not primarily a research project, but rather something that stemmed from discussions that we had at this Speed Collaborative over the past spring. Uh, it's a project called Connect Physical Education, Teacher Education. Um, basically, is to introduce the project to you in, in uh, the time left. These are our project managers, in addition to myself, Pamela hodges and We've got four doctoral students uh, working with us. Uh, you may recognize them from, from prior conferences. Uh, we basically are saying we want you and we need you. Uh, and C. Pete was inspired by the project that uh, some of you may not even have known about until today. It's called uh, the Anderson Barrett publication called or titled What's Going On in Gym, which was a video bank developed uh, of about uh, 80, 88 classes that were observed and recorded in New York, portions of Connecticut and New Jersey. And it was also inspired by comments from Pete faculty who were on the Pete Collaborative early on in the, the Pete Collaborative sessions back in uh, March, April, May. Uh, everybody was complaining that they, they didn't have good videos of, of uh, physical education lessons. And so the two goals are A, to uh, build a national library uh, covering all regions of the country to support PEAT programs for modeling and demonstration purposes, but also secondarily provide access to pedagogy, support pedagogy researchers to be able to tap into that uh, essentially data pool, if you will, or, or uh, a pool of, of video from which you can collect data to conduct their uh, research. As of last week, we have got full IRB approval to go ahead and start recruiting uh, teachers. And, and the project is structured as follows. We're going to try, this is essentially our first floating of the balloon. We're gonna to try to recruit as many PEAT faculty, hopefully some of you on the call will be interested, who will then in turn um, recruit teachers in the area that you feel are good quality teachers and that would be open and willing to have uh, classes, uh, anywhere from two to three or four classes recorded, anywhere from K through 12. Um, we will provide video-based training tutorials for the people that are going to do the video recording. Hopefully that'll be either Pete faculty themselves or some of their graduate students. We will ship consent materials and equipment such as iPads, tripods, et cetera, et cetera. We will then uh, allow the PEAT faculty members who are helping out and assisting us uh, with scheduling and recording the lessons. Um, then we will get the video records. These will, these will all be digital records, of course. Prepare those, edit those, and upload the videos into a searchable video library. Uh, and they're searchable by content school level location and other variables. This is what a sample video will look like. Uh, we were using iPads with wide angles. And so you'll capture all the activity and we will make individual videos uh, accessible that follow the teacher primarily as well. 
the tentative start date uh, because of COVID, obviously, at the very earliest is spring of 2022. We hope by the fall of 2022 to have a launch of the initial uh, videos, if we can get enough people to to um, to uh, volunteer. And then from that point forward, we're looking to simply expand the video library. Uh, we see this as a benefit for pre-service physical educators learning and development by seeing reasonably good models. And there are some ample uh, sport pedagogy research opportunities. And the people who are recording classes will build their technology skills. And so uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, you see my name and email. Um, we're hoping to send out a formal invitation to all PEAT faculty to volunteer with additional information because my time is just about up, I think. So thank you, Risto. This is the initial uh, pitch, if you will. But just so you know, something is on the horizon. Thanks, Hans. And I'm very impressed with uh, you staying within the parameters five minutes. Uh, also, thank you so much for sharing this. I think it's a, it's a really cool project for, um, for us as a, as a community. Uh, we, I was one of those vocal people who didn't have uh, those videos to go, uh, go to. So hopefully this will get picked up. All right, so um, welcome again. Uh, this month, uh, we've invited a diverse group of scholars to provide feedback as Shape, uh, Shape America begins the process of revising their K-12 standards. Um, we try to get a wide variety of backgrounds to address various issues, but we're sure we are missing some points of view. We know that one obvious omission is the classroom teacher. Um, that said, we chose to start at the faculty level and hope that future teacher groups do meet uh, on their own. Uh, panelists have a really tough task ahead of them. I've asked them to limit their initial comments to just two to three minutes, which keeping any faculty talking points to two to three minutes is obviously a challenge. Um, once they have spoken, you are able to engage in discussion via the chat with that specific person or uh, you can wait to address bigger questions in the Q&A, uh, which is going to follow directly after the panelists have spoken. Um, we're also happy to have Michelle Carter from Shape America here, um, who is the Director of Educational Content and Programs and uh, is the manager for the upcoming Standards Revision Task Force here with us. Um, she is here to listen and learn, hear the good, the bad, the ugly, and uh, take that as feedback. She's not involved in actual revision beyond just managing the task force uh, and can, to the best of her ability, answer the questions about uh, the process through the chat. If, uh, or if you uh, get to the Q&A and you want to ask those questions, you can. So uh, without further delay, uh, let me turn it over to the first panelist, Dr. Tristan Wallhead. After uh, Tristan is done, uh, we'll just keep moving forward. The panelists have been given their order. Uh, if they don't talk, I'll uh, prompt them to. And uh, Tristan, go ahead. Uh, thanks, Risto. Uh, I appreciate you uh, inviting me to come and speak to this group. Um, I, I know why you put me first was because I could set the bar very, very low for the quality of my contribution and everybody can absolutely clear that bar. Um, uh, Risto, when he initially invited me, um, talked about models-based practice. If some of you know my work, I, I talk a little bit about models-based practice. And I just wanted to steer a little bit away from that because I think when we're talking about standards, we're talking about the essential skills and knowledge that students must master um, to, be, to be defined as physically or physically educated. And we're really not prescribing any type of curriculum. 
with the way that the standards are produced. And so um, Aristo talked a little bit about Ireland starting putting models in their uh, documents. In Ireland and in England, really, we have a national curriculum. And so you can start delving into different ways of presenting that content. And so I'm going to move away from models-based practice. But I do have a commentary about, um, here's my recommendation. Physical literacy was embedded and re replaced the physical educated statement in the, in the shape standards without perhaps time spent on discourse and understanding what that concept is. Um, there's been a lot of discourse about whether how it's defined. And I think a lot of practitioners are, are confused um, by that discourse. So we've got critical discourse that it can even be measured, for example, or assessed or operationalized. Um, but we also have other sort of pragmatic perspectives. What I would suggest, I think, is my take-home message in my two-minute spiel is that we look into perhaps the most consensus definition of physical literacy, which is Whitehead's, and she has described some specific attributes um, that are associated with physical literacy. If I was sitting on the shape uh, standards revision, I would think about situating some of the core standards within some of those attributes such that we get a better sense of whether a student is physically literate by whether they've achieved some of those attributes that really are defined within the concept um, and so that's my my suggestion um, I, I think it just needs a little bit more thought beyond just putting physical literacy in the benchmarks and standards uh, and perhaps we can do that with our current standards there's some competency standards, there's some understanding, there's some social emotional learning standards, which are all arguably some aspect of physical literacy as defined by Whitehead. And so that would be my recommendation. Thanks, Risto. Thanks, Tristan. Um, and you can uh, go ahead and uh, ask questions to Tristan on the chat or keep them. Uh, we'll go to Corey, uh, Corey Dixon next. Um, also, thank you for having me. Um, the bar was set, uh, was set quite high, in my opinion, Tristan. I think that was a great uh, presentation. I'm going to actually set a timer to make sure I don't go over as well. Um, so if you hear it go off, I'll just automatically mute. Uh, for me, um, and looking at the standards and, and kind of looking at if I had the opportunity to revise or rethink um, the standards in any way, um, I think of a more uh, cultural perspective and adding a cultural perspective uh, to the standards themselves. And so with a lot of the literature um, that, that I look at and the research that I do, a lot of it is kind of focused more towards uh, teachers and teacher educators. And so thinking about ways to implement um, uh, the research I'm involved with, with the standards was a pretty interesting concept. And so I think um, generally, um, if I could add additional standards, I think we could consider how the physically literate individuals um, understand and employ vocabulary and behaviors that support diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice, um, considering how our students uh, can be empowered to apply knowledge and skills that positively impact the health concerns of specific uh, marginalized groups, um, considering um, our students to have an, uh, be able to display an appreciation for diverse cultures and their contributions to physical education. And lastly, uh, to be able to engage in curriculums that reflect uh, the cultural knowledge of their communities and the communities of others. I think um, taking that perspective um, and looking at the standards that way could be beneficial. 
Um, and also even considering like I was reading through the standards again and um, just thinking if we could even uh, tag language to the end of the standards that, um, you know, if we take standard three, for example, um, looking at how physically literate individuals demonstrate knowledge and skills to achieve and maintain health enhancing levels of physical activity and fitness to potentially um, adding language along the lines of in ways that are relevant and sustaining to the race, culture, values, norms, and customs of themselves and others. And so like taking that perspective um, and some of the things I kind of talked about, some of my ideas, I'll drop it in the chat, I'll follow suit um, and do that. But generally I'll wrap up there. Thank you. Thanks, Corey. And that's, that's great stuff. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I think there's plenty of people who are willing to engage in that chat with you. Um, Ang Chen, you are up next. Hello, everyone. Um, Ang Chen here at UNCG. Uh, I would uh, take a different route on that. Uh, I'm in the trenches and I'm in high school um, uh, almost um, you know, every week uh, to do research. And uh, I guess uh, when one look back at the standards, I have a sense that uh, anything we put in there must be very meaningful for the teachers. Uh, so when I look at the, our state's uh, uh, teacher account accountability system and a lot of things over there and the teacher uh, uh, are asked to uh, focus on at this point. So uh, currently we have five standards and I guess before this version we had six and before that probably we had uh, eight, I don't know, fans, uh, Hans, you can speak to it. Uh, in 1994, I guess, probably we had uh, more standards than six. So uh, at this time, uh, we have uh, for elementary school, we have 125 minutes. Uh, for middle and high school, we have 225 minutes. Uh, I think it's a time to uh, look at the standards uh, carefully. If we can consolidate them, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, if we have room for cultural competence, uh, that's absolutely need to be in there. If we have room for uh, social emotional learning competence, uh, it needs to be there, but we need to look at the whole picture to see whether or not is, uh, is realistic for students to learn. Now, the second, this relates to, to uh, the second point, uh, that is for any standards we put in there, we need to have a content to go with it. Uh, so we have to look at the curriculum itself. Uh, Tristan talked about model-based uh, uh, curriculum. Uh, that's a very, very good thing. So we need to have those type of things in place when we develop a curriculum. Uh, when we have a curriculum in place, the next step is to figure out what kind of things we can put in there as an indicator to show students can indeed learn them. Uh, a lot of times, I guess, uh, when we talk about the benefits of physical education, we just talk about them. We don't have evidence to show them. That's a problem for the field. Uh, right now, uh, for anything we put into teacher accountability system, it must be relevant, reliable, and valid. So uh, our colleagues in other subject matter will say, hey, this is worthwhile for physical education uh, to achieve. So uh, those are the things I think we need to keep in mind when we revise the standards. I guess my time is up. Thanks, Ang. And I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get you back in during the uh, question and answer session as well. Uh, next in line, we have Kevin Patton. 
Uh, Bristo, uh, thank you. Uh, Kevin Patton from California State University, Chico. My message today is pretty straightforward. Um, first thing I want to do is make a case for movement skills as a continued focus of all standard revision. And second, I want to warn us of the danger of compartmentalizing physical education by specialization and or diluting physical education to the point where we don't do anything particularly well. So my first point to the bottom line of my message is that we can't negate what we're fundamentally about. We can't ignore the unique contributions of physical education. As we all know, we're the only subject area that deals with the physical. And as noted by Rink, psychomotor outcomes are the unique contribution of physical education to the education of students. No other educational program emphasizes psychomotor objectives the way that we do. This includes motor skill objectives, such as teaching fundamental skills, or the skills required to engage in other specialized activities. For many, myself included, movement at its most fundamental level is a non-negotiable when engaging in any discussion about physical education standards. Further and importantly, I would argue that it's dangerous territory to dilute this focus, including putting an overemphasis on physical activity over physical education. Finally, and as Hasty pointed out in his excellent 2017 article in JTPE entitled Revisiting the National Physical Education Content Standards, he warned us that physical education has diluted itself and has sought to be all things to all people and ultimately ends to be ineffective to everyone. He commented that physical education has attempted to do so much that it has diluted both its meaning and its purpose. And so he asked, what would happen if instead we focused on being good at one or two things, noting that as a field, as, as Ong Chen just mentioned, we failed to provide an abundance of evidence. So to summarize, my main message is that we can't abandon standard number one. And this doesn't mean I don't support all of the other things that have uh, already been mentioned today. In particular, I have a renewed interest in social emotional learning that I know Paul is going to address and social justice issues, which Dylan and Sue and Jen and others were going to talk about soon. Instead, my goal is to speak to the dangers of compartmentalizing. The combination of move movement skills in other areas is not an either or concept. Both can and should be taught, taught well, and taught in unison. Neither movement nor other areas need to be compromised. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate that. Um, Let's, uh, the next group is Dylan Landy, Sue Sutherland, and Jen Walton Fassett. Um, so, uh, however, you, uh, you all want to address, uh, go ahead. Thanks so much, Risto. I'll be speaking on behalf of the three of us today, but hope that my much smarter counterparts will add in in about two to three minutes. And I certainly want to echo some of the things that have already been said, and we're taking a more broad perspective on how to approach standards. Um, not just focusing on the specific content to be taught. And one thing I think that we need to talk about before we even talk about what the standard should be is what is the purpose of physical education? We have to really rediscover what that purpose really is. And going to Mikhail Quinnisette's focus on getting the E of the educative back into physical education, which gets to Kevin's point of focusing more on physical education and not on physical activity promotion. Let's try to move away from making kids fit or physically active and really getting them to understand how to be physically active and a mover in a variety of cultural perspectives. Exactly what Corey was talking about earlier and I'll delve into that a little bit later. Another thing is that our standards are not situated 
based on educational theory or curriculum theory. And if we look at some of our counterparts in, in New Zealand, Australia, the UK, Canada, they're all situated in educational and curriculum theories. And we really should consider looking at how they have framed their national curriculum and their standards to better situate ours. And certainly to try to move away from, again, the public health promotion and the social ecological model that tends to frame our current standards. Another thing to look at is that some of us use three learning domains, some of us use four. And so looking across all the domains, which also includes the social. And we would highly recommend actually that instead of focusing so much just on the psychomotor, that we give the equal weight to the psychomotor, cognitive, affective, and the social. And they should also all be interconnected, just like what we do with our research, teaching, and service. They should be interconnected and interrelated. And not surprising with the three of us is yes, that it should all be framed in social justice perspectives. Um, I echo a lot of what Corey has already stated, um, but it should be the framework among all of the standards, not an isolated standard. Back in 1995, as Ang Chen mentioned, there were seven standards and there was one that actually focused on difference and diversity. And we have actually watered down the focus on, now we use the term cultural competency, but that's conflated with a lot of other perspectives. And that's only an in initial teacher, teacher standards. It's not in the K through 12 standards. The term is difference, accepting difference. And so we have to have a much more social justice focus than what we espouse. And it needs to be intentional and explicit. If it's not intentional and explicit in the wording of the standards, it will not be taught, not in K through 12 and certainly not in higher education. And last but not least is that it is really cr critical, the key policy actors, and I consider standards our policy here in the US for what it is that we teach. The key policy actors, as Don Penny would say, are critical. Who are the people developing the standards? It's a handful of people. How are they selected? What is their expertise? Do they have expertise in educational theory, curriculum theory, social justice frameworks? If the answer is no, then they probably should not be on the standards committee. Even myself included, as passionate as I am about social justice and physical education, I'm probably not the best expert to potentially be on the committee. Maybe I am, I don't know, that's debatable. But we need to ask ourselves, who are these key policy actors that are framing everything that we're doing in physical education in the US? Thank you. Thanks, Jen, really appreciate it. Um, next up is Tanjan Lang. Hi everyone, and I am uh, Tanjan Liang. I am an assistant professor from Central Washington University and good afternoon to everyone. So all the way from the Northwest. So, and I would like to bring a big argument uh, from my current research and the, and the literature in the caring. So we, as a teacher educator, we are required to foster and nurture caring teachers. And then however, I see there is a lack of concise message for the K to 12 learning in the caring. So which means in the, in the standards, we require to foster caring teachers, but uh, in the standard, I couldn't see anything or maybe uh, the personal and, social, uh, a personal and social responsibility model could uh, address part of the caring as well, which is really good. And if, if we require caring teachers to be fostered, 
And then where is the content standard that addressing the caring in, a did, uh, in order to maybe solve the cultural, uh, the, uh, the current issues in the diversity and equity, such and such in the K to 12 level. So uh, speaking of that, and uh, from my current research in the uh, ethic of care from Nodding's uh, the, uh, theory, so in the teacher education program right now, we try to help the students to develop their caring using the caring curriculum. And uh, we, we found some, uh, my research team found uh, that we, our teacher candidates currently only focus on caring for students as people. And however, for those learning standards, I assume we should help the student to learn. However, uh, our current finding says, our current finding indicate that our teacher candidates only caring for students as people, but not as learners. So, and uh, this is something that really interesting to me as a teacher educator in general. So, and I think um, if we want to foster caring teachers, which is good, like a lot of a national, national conference always saying, and, but where is, is the standard? We also want to foster the K to 12 students and to be caring individuals and caring for each other as well. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Paul Wright, you're up. All right, great. Uh, thanks so much for having me here. And this is uh, really an important and exciting conversation and I'm really uh, pleased to be in the company of this great panel. So I'll cut right to my charge, which is to talk a little bit about the idea of social emotional learning and how that might play a role in the revised standards. Uh, I definitely support the idea of considering that, how this as a framework might be of use, uh, clearly with, with the historical and, and uh, longstanding focus on affective development as part of our standards, um, our, our emphasis on personal and social development within PE, best practices related models-based instruction, all the other forms of uh, student-centered practice. This clearly fits with where PE is and where it should be going, in my opinion. Um, I will note in the current standards, we have five and two of the five address, uh, I would say in one way or another, the social and emotional learning uh, component. Uh, standard four, being a TPSR junkie, this is close to my heart and uh, you know, I love the idea that we have one standard devoted to personal and social responsibility. Uh, standard five addresses a range of uh, topics from enjoyment to self-expression to social interaction. Uh, but I often refer to those two as the, the mandate essentially in the PE curriculum to address social and emotional learning. With that said, I think the current framing is a bit haphazard. Um, even though we have two of these five standards addressing it, it is not the most coherent um, or actionable set of indicators. Uh, as Ang mentioned, you know, we have to be a, uh, aware of how well are these things defined so that we can see how would they be translated into practice? How would they be assessed? So I do think we could use to uh, bring in a framework that might pull these things together and consolidate even, but present actually a more comprehensive and better defined framework. Uh, and I think social and emotional learning can do that for us. Uh, I won't go into the details. I think most people probably know the CASEL model is one of the predominant ones right now. It's not the only way to frame this, but it is one that has been taken up in educational research and policy uh, well beyond physical education and well before physical education got into it. Um, 
my last note on this, I guess, would be to say in light of the, the different perspectives being shared today, we're talking about things uh, related to culture, equity, social justice, education, uh, diversity, uh, trauma-informed practice. I think all of these areas can actually be really synergistic and framed in uh, what's now being called transformative social and emotional learning, which means instead of just focusing on teaching personal and social competencies and skills within the gym setting, how can we use that as a platform, much like Don Hellison always did with his idea of transfer, to get kids engaging in broader conversations about how, and when, and where, and why these skills are important. Uh, so it can open the door to addressing uh, instead of avoiding issues of culture, difference, and diversity. Uh, so I think it's a rich area worth exploring, and it might be a framework that would help to consolidate some things that are currently sort of haphazardly presented and ill-defined. So that's my opener. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Um, Scott McNamara, you're up next. All right, thank you very much. Uh, I'm at the University of Northern Iowa, and I think I was asked because I'm uh, representing kind of adapted physical education and some of those uh, uh, thoughts. Um, and I thought about this a lot in a variety of ways because I'm not sure I'm like the best person to be talking about the standards, but you know, um, I'm not, I, I also thought who in my field is, and I don't know if we address the standards enough in my field um, and do research on them. But you know, when I thought about the standards, I hear a lot of, and I think I'm going to echo some ideas from other people, but I think we're talking a lot about curriculum. And in my eyes, uh, you know, obviously they're supposed to guide curriculum, but I, I think that they're also, at least how I see them use, is they reflect our vision and value and purpose of physical education uh, as well. And you know, I think that's, you know, also like, who are we and what are we doing is what the standards are driven towards. And so one of the lens that I kind of apply to this, and I don't really have answers, just maybe more some questions and reflections for us, is when I went through and I looked at the grade level outcomes, um, you know, I looked at them and uh, from the perspective of disability and what they're saying about disability, and obviously there's no real connection or discussion about disability, uh, which is you know, often a group that is neglected and marginalized within physical education. But you know, there, there's, when there's sports, there's not discussion of disability sports. And even when there's discussion of motor skills in there, they talk about mature pattern. And when, in my eyes, when we're talking about mature pattern, we're thinking about you know, whatever the assessment or whatever the, the biomechanics uh, you know, of what that perfect thing looks like. And the reality is, is that when I have a child with cerebral palsy in front of me or a certain disability, especially physical disabilities, they're never going to, many of them will never achieve this quote unquote mature pattern. Um, and, and so again, like in my eyes, and is that really what we want them to achieve is mature pattern or something that's viable and functional for them? And again, this is, again, I don't really have an answer for this, but something to reflect on. And again, I think that when we use these standards, I think it's not just curriculum, I think it's value. And when I read that, it tells me that a child with a disability who can never achieve this mature pattern has something that needs to be fixed and that they are a problem. So um, that, that's all that I got really on it, but uh, thank you. Thanks, Scott. Um, our last panelist today is Langston Clark. Go ahead, Langston. 
Hello, everybody. Just want to make sure you can hear me. Good, good. It's good to see everyone. Um, I appreciate being invited here. I appreciate um, having the diverse voices and perspectives uh, that we're able to present today. And those of you who came just as spectators uh, to listen, I think that's important and appreciated as well. Um, I, I think I want to consider, I think I want to consider a little bit about the process of developing the standards and things that we need to recognize going through that. Um, in particular, um, where we stand as a field in relationship to the broader sort of like universe of education and what these standards mean not only to us but to the fields that are external to us. So in terms of like uh, people who are going into education administration, uh, elementary education in some states, uh, physical education isn't required in elementary school. And then so I think there are some smaller school districts here in Texas where the elementary school teacher is the PE teacher. And so what, what do our standards mean to um, what do our standards mean to diverse audiences who will have to implement these standards and use them and be aware of them? But also what do they mean for uh, the diverse recipients of those standards, meaning like the students? And so these, these are all things that I would ask us to be mindful of as we go through the process of developing the standards. Um, and I'm also wondering, uh, not to give power away to people who are outside of our field, but maybe using the process of developing the standards to have a broader conversation with other fields about our place in education. So I, I guess for me, what I would like to see in the development of the standards, because I know that shape is, is, is sort of key in that, like what, what does the president of, um, what, what do the presidents of, uh, the teaching organizations say about this? What does the president of AERA say about this? And not necessarily that they have to make the standards, but us communicating to them that we are making standards and that our standards are important and that what we do is important and that in your separate organizations that we are a part of that broader, as I said, education universe, like you all need to be paying attention to this and supporting us and how we deliver and make physical education central to what we do in education K through 12. So those are just, just my closing thoughts. And I, I appreciate being able to go last because I had the opportunity to listen uh, to everybody go first. So thank you all. Thanks Langston. And um, so I'll open it up to uh, Q and A for anybody that's um, interested in asking the panelists in general or specifically, or any of the collaborative members have uh, picked up some some uh, items from the chat. I think a uh, couple people that weren't able to be here today. Um, I know I, I talked to Brian Culp today on another another call, and he noted uh, something really interesting of when we're deciding on what standards or what we're building on curriculum. We often think about what's happening now and to address issues of now, instead of looking at the students who are coming up who are going to be in those standards the technology, the culture, the what they have been experienced. And so a lot of times we do look at, hey, let's fix the problems now. It's much harder to think about what to, what to do for 
the future of where we're going to be in 10 years when these are fully, fully implemented and rolled out. So just a thought that I think Brian uh, brought up that was really interesting. Um, I did promise uh, Peter Hasty a word, but I, I don't uh, I don't see him on here. Um, do we have anybody uh, that would like to ask a question? Just uh, throw up your hand, either just put it up on the screen like this or use the hand raise, fun uh, hand raise function and we'll unmute you. So uh, we'll go to Hans, go ahead. Uh, thanks, uh, Risto, and thank you to the panelists for uh, offering their perspectives. I, I, I would just make two points. The first one is that, um, I, I, whoever is going to be on this, this next task force uh, needs to be quite mindful of some of the, the realities that teachers work within. Uh, in most states, physical education has been cut off at the knees, uh, where some kids may only get physical education once every six days. Um, in middle school, we increasingly see students being able to uh, choose physical education as an elective and of course, I think most of us realize that high school physical education is at best required for one or, or one year or two semesters. And there are all kinds of loopholes through which people might never see the inside of a gymnasium, let alone be educated. Um, so um, for us to go uh, steaming over to all the possible supplementary outcomes, I think um, might, might be problematic. Um, uh, less is more um, is probably a mantra that that we need to keep in mind. We simply cannot be everything to everyone, and so um, the first the first three standards. And I guess I'm I'm going to steal from Kevin's earlier points, but the first three standards uh, clearly focus on the psychomotor domain, and and that those are. The, that is the primary learning domain. And if we, if we uh, give that up or, or minimize it in, in favor of other learning domains, um, then I think we will have lost the battle and, and the war uh, to boot. Um, a good physical education teachers uh, address uh, all the learning domains. Social emotional learning uh, is done, um, is, is taught nicely by, by effective teachers. I've, I've seen enough of it uh, in schools. And so um, less is more. I, I, I would urge whoever is on this task force to keep that front and center. Thank you. I will, uh, I will defer to the next speaker. Thanks, Hans. Um, I see Sterling, you have your, uh, and I totally, uh, Said your name I wrong, but go ahead, Sterling. No, you have it right. That's correct. Um, yeah, my name is Sterling Hapner, and I'm actually an MAT student at University of South Carolina in my last semester, sort of changing careers. Um, my one question, I think, that, that I would have, um, just from my small sample size of being out in the field, um, how would we create buy-in, or, or, or who is the onus on to create buy-in with new standards? Um, the reason I bring up that question is, um, I've, again, I've been out there briefly, mind you, but I've seen, e even for the standards that we are taught through the University of South Carolina and the SHAPE standards, and all of those standards, they seem to be um, less adhered to more often than not. Um, so how is buy-in created overall? And what role can I play as a new educator, um, hopefully here in the, in the next couple months, to be able to to stand to any new standards that, that are created and to uphold that. 
Um, I'm wondering if uh, Jen, Sue, if you want to uh, address that in, in the regards to policy or Laura, if you feel like you want to jump in or anybody that uh, could kind of answer that question. And then um, I'll go to Matthew uh, Madden after that. Michelle, okay. do you want to? Yeah, I'm just gonna. I do have to hop off, but I did want to add to that. Built in the timeline, and part of we're in the early stages. Our task force hasn't convened yet, but our, we're planning to um, meet in the next couple weeks, and we've already drafted an outline. And we're a lot of the things that you all are discussing, we're including. And one of the things that the question just came from is about building consensus um, amongst the membership. Is part of that too that the task force will consider. One way we do that too is we will go, we will. Put the standards out in drafts and open them up to public review and comment. So that's a great opportunity um, for individuals to share their feedback and comments. We did this with the PEAT standards in 2017, those standards, um, and went through every comment. Additionally, we do have planned review groups um, by con like different specific focus areas that will have smaller, sorry, that's my dog, <laughs> smaller co cohorts to review as well. Um, and so we'll reach out. Um, we have a plan that we're working through to solicit those people for feedback in those specialized groups. And I do have to go. I, I'm great thoughts. I'm going to listen back to the recording from the beginning because I was trying to jot so many things down on my paper. Uh, and I'm, you know, so that we hear everything. So thank you, everybody. Thanks, Michelle. Do you have uh, just quickly? Uh, I think she jumped off. I was going to ask if. Uh, the, the list is public, but um, I'm not sure if the, the task force is public yet. I can respond to that. So I would say um, very, very soon the task force um, members um, will be announced. If I can, um, yeah. sorry, Sterling, this isn't um, going to answer your question in any way, shape or form, but just to get to Jamie's point and what Michelle was saying, um, I'd like us really to consider whose voices at the table and whose voices have been ignored or silenced or bracketed in all of this. Um, and and in this is by no means in any disrespect to the Pete 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 Collaborative and folks who put this together. But I'm just going to say this is International Women's Month, and look at the panelists. And that's no disrespect to my male colleagues in, in whatsoever. I just think we need to be more inclusive. Yeah, so definitely point taken. Um, just as a point of clarification, we asked a lot of people, a lot of people had turned us down. Uh, so we can only bring on the people who are, who are willing to talk in, in the groups. So um, that is something that the Peak Collaborative we talked about, of how to reach out to a div uh, diverse set of voices. I totally understand what it looks like, but just know uh, that we did not just ask, you know, right. white males and, to, to come on. And I hear you, Risto. I'm just saying that shape need to consider that and be more intentional in how they reach out to people. I mean, by no means was I trying, I was just making a point. I wasn't trying to be... Um, a pain in the ass or a smart ass, as we would say in England. But I, I do think intentionality and time and thought and effort, not, not for this, but for shape, 
um, in, in making sure that voices are heard. Okay, I'm done. I'll stop. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. Uh, Matthew, uh, did you wanna talk? Go ahead. Yeah, I had a question for, the, uh, uh, for any of the panelists really. Uh, I think in a couple of points, there was a real fine line between uh, what I think the, the charge was in discussing uh, PK-12 uh, standards and grade level outcomes and, um, and initial standards. And it even popped up in the chat. Um, so so I, I was hoping that the, some of the panelists would, would highlight how they're separating what it is uh, PK-12 learners should be um, uh, a learning or how those standards should be addressed as shape moves forward. And then uh, what does that look like when we start speaking to uh, instruction, caring, models, and um, the newly re-brought back uh, relationship with CAPE and uh, the initial teaching standards. Um, thanks. Anybody want to jump on that? Well, sure. I mean, I think that there are some similarities, but they're two very different audiences. And the initial PEAT standards are for accreditation purposes. Ultimately, that's what we mostly utilize them for, or for the state requirements when you have to submit your an annual reports, which are rather extensive. So aligning to something. So even if you're not going to SPA, now that we're back spying again in fall 2021, you still need to have some sort of guidance. And we are in a standards-based education era. We have been for three plus decades in the US. We're gonna continue doing that. But that is, what can your pre-service teachers do? What are they doing? What do they need to learn? That is not really well aligned with what they want their students to know and be able to do for K through 12. And so a lot of the things that we do for the initial PEAT standards, our students have no idea what we're doing because we're the ones that are creating the curriculum, the instruction, the assessments for that. Now, is there some similarities? Are there some themes that align with it? And of course, preparing them how to plan, instruct and assess? Absolutely. But ultimately when we're teaching our future teachers, we're preparing them to teach the K through 12 standards. Everything we do is situated around that because in most states, if not all, well, it actually it is all but one, utilize the national standards as their guiding post for the planning, instruction, assessment of students. So that's what we're utilizing. Our students have no idea about the initial PEAT standards. They don't, it's for us as faculty. And so there should be more alignment um, ultimately, but I would say that certainly from um, the three of us that, that spoke, um, we would argue for, for that to be the case for both standards um, because there are a lot of broad perspectives to consider for both standards because they, do they inform each other? Do they align? I would argue that they don't really align very well. I don't. It's for two very different audiences. Thanks, Jen. Um, I got Ang Cheng next, unless somebody wants to comment on that specific uh, point. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, I, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, try to uh, address Matthew's question. Uh, uh, I sort of uh, agree with Jen's uh, um, point that uh, those two things may not be necessarily uh, 
together. And uh, when you look at that, and the reality is uh, is pretty tough in physical education right now. Uh, so I don't want to uh, sound like complaining all the time, but that's the reality uh, we're facing. So when we create standards, we need to keep that in mind. Um, physical education teachers in elementary school, if a school hires a specialist, there's the only specialist in the school, one teacher in an elementary school. So that's the current situation uh, in our state. Um, the uh, teaching force in secondary school and, uh, and uh, high school, in middle school and high school uh, have been reduced dramatically. Uh, when I got to North Carolina from uh, Maryland, uh, the average number of teachers in a middle school and a high school range between five or six or seven, but right now two and a half and a three. Okay, so um, when we look at the standards and you ask this uh, teaching force for every period, they, they are facing 40 students, uh, you know, it's, it's tough, it's tough out there. So we have to address curriculum issues uh, looking at the standards at this moment, I think personally, we're not in the growing mode, like in 1930s and 1960s, we're in a maintenance mode. So we have to be smart on this. So I don't know who, uh, who are on the task force. I just hope that the message can be passed down. Um, you know, look at those, um, standards carefully for teaching standards and the licensure uh, procedures uh, are changing. Um, you know, we just got information from our county, 56% uh, of new teachers next uh, last year were certified through lateral procedures. They enter into teaching force laterally, not necessarily from a teacher education program. So if the initial teaching, beginning teacher standards uh, were created in such a way that, uh, uh, you know, our students uh, feel difficulty to go through, and I guess probably, uh, you know, we're going to see a reduction of uh, our enrollment. Thanks, Song. Uh, I'm going to ask Laura Alfrey to just address what she put in the chat, um, because I, I think some people are going in between both and others just totally ignore the chat because it's hard to keep up. And then we'll go to Colin af uh, after that. So go ahead, Laura. Thanks, Risto. And sorry, uh, forever behind the times. But uh, yeah, a few questions ago, um, I think Sterling's question was really important. And um, I think it's often asked too late. You know, how can we get buy-in of teachers to put these magical standards into practice? Um, and unless we ask those questions early, I think, um, you won't get the intended outcomes, yeah, which I assume is the inaction of the standards. Um, so I guess I guess I use this term mental ownership, but buying is the same thing. Yeah, how, how can we create a space for teachers to feel like their voice is heard and others and other actors? Um, but for me, that's only part of the story. Yeah, so um, buying is one thing, but uh, and as I said in the chat, this is a rhetorical question to some extent, but how are we going to support them moving forward? Yeah, so we know that teachers need layered support from multiple sources over a long period of time in order to enact any kind of curriculum. Um, and yes, I guess I would just urge you to think about what that might look like. I know it might 
seem too far away given the standards aren't yet created but um yeah so I guess firstly the consultation process I was loath to or at least hesitant to comment because I'm not up on the context and so I'll be very clear on that but um yeah voice and consultation combined with what kind of support would be available for teachers would be two things I would be thinking keenly about. Thanks Laura really appreciate that um let's go to uh Colin Go ahead, you should be able to unmute. Uh, I, I'm unmuted now, right, Risto? Yep. Okay. Uh, thanks, well, I've really enjoyed the conversation um, and I appreciate everyone for organizing this again. This is such a great collaborative. I'm just so happy that this is now part of what we get to do every month. Um, I will say the one perspective I think that I haven't heard yet um, that has been on my mind when it comes to standards is the extent to which uh, the standards are driven by research or philosophy or both. Um, having, you know, I guess, you know, having standards in place now for some time and some uh, revisions to the standards as well, it would seem by now we would have a better evidence base to support which standards um, we can better achieve than others. But I think one thing that happens, uh, and we, there are certainly many people in the field who, who produce research and are interested in you know, what we can achieve in physical education. But one thing that happens is that we do tend to, um, everyone has an agenda, everyone has you know, a research program. And even our own research programs tend to fizzle out a little bit as we get new interests and, and decide you know, different directions in our careers. And as a result, what happens from what I can see are paradigm shifts that essentially move the field and whatever the dominant discourses might be about learning and achievement for students in PE. And it tends to be the case that, you know, those paradigm shifts actually happen quite frequently in physical education. Other fields have shown that about every 17 to 20 years on average is the amount of time it takes for an evidence base to begin to translate into practice. So just that's some food for thought, you know, I mean, how much time do we really give ourselves to produce evidence to suggest really what we most might be most capable of. But there's a vicious circle too, which is a caveat, which is that the research we do focuses on what we value as individual researchers. And so that agenda more or less is philosophical. And, and so philosophy ultimately is what drives the research, which then should be driving, um, in my opinion, what we choose to do or focus on the most in terms of um, outcomes for kids. But, uh, you know, short of, short of another process uh, to try to get an evidence base in place and to sustain research on a particular agenda, we'll probably be in the same ebb and flow or you know, peaks and valleys of what we think are most important to achieve for kids in K through 12 PE. Um, you know, it's, it's, this has been the kind of pattern for decades that we, you know, we, we never really hold on to one particular perspective or one agenda to see what, how far we can really go with that. And for me, that's, you know, that unless we change our entire process of developing standards and maybe thinking more about um, how, how to really, you know, arrive at what we think is most valuable, that'll be the pattern indefinitely. Thanks, Colin. Um, I'm gonna go to Dylan. Um, you should be able to unmute now. Uh, and then we'll go to Tyler Johnson after that. Oh, cheers, Risto. Um, I've been, sort of quiet for uh, a real reason here, and that's because I'm really cognizant of who's speaking 
and what they look like and whose perspectives are being shared. But once I heard Colin say what uh, he said, I was sort of motivated to talk about it because it, it was affective, it was inspiring in a way. Uh, I was reading a book, I believe David Kirk wrote a while ago, but it got revived in a particular way. And when we talk about standards, um, how much have standards really shifted our field? How much have standards actually transformed practices that happened in gyms and gymnasiums? And people would argue different things. One of them would be the discourses that Colin was speaking to prior, and then others would argue model-based practices, especially David Kirk and other forms of uh, uh, things. But the one thing that I think we really need to reflect on here is, are we trying to transform physical education or are we actually trying to transform children? And if it's the latter, then we're closing down what the purpose of physical education is and what it can do. So whatever standards that are chosen, we have to think about the prescriptive nature of them and if we want them to be that way. Therefore, the theories that underpin them, the indicators that are chosen, do they close down what teachers and children can do? Or does it open it up to self-expression, creativity, and community impact that reflects the places in which we seek to serve? Unless we start thinking about standards from that holistic perspective, where we're trying to transform the field and not change children, I don't think we're, I think we're gonna miss the boat. And I guess that's sort of the one thing that I would say. Thanks, Dylan. Um, is there anybody that wants to respond or? Could I, could I just say something yeah. like that's just been in my head? I think it kind of relates to some of this. I, I'm going back and forth on like, what are the purpose of standards? And I've heard like a lot of things. And like, to me, you know, I think we have to come together and talk about this, but are they like, do they define us? Do they define what we teach? I've always kind of looked at them as a reflective tool. Um, like it, like it's a tool that our students should use. Like they create, they create learning objectives based off the grade level outcomes. Like we're not supposed to give the students grade level outcomes, like to tell that. And like, and then those are supposed to communicate learning, right? Like that's their purpose is to communicate learning, which is all like standards-based grading is like we use the standards to communicate learning. So like, I guess like what I'm hearing is like, I think standards are super important, but like, I don't know if they really define us or like who we are. Like, I think they're a tool that we want to use to guide our instruction and guide our field versus kind of this rigid, this is who we are. I don't know. Thanks, Scott. Uh, Tyler, uh, you should be unmuted. Go ahead. Yes, what I'm gonna say, I think it relates a lot to what you were just asking there, Scott. Uh, I'm going to reference a, a Quest article written. I know some of us maybe don't read Quest as much as some of our other research articles, but uh, there's been some great stuff written in Quest by people in our field. And I think it's worthy of uh, attention in this case. Bob Pengrazy wrote a nice article in 2010 called uh, Chasing Unachievable Outcomes. And I'm not going to you know, specify all that he said in there, but one thing that really has stuck with me, and it's it, this discussion today made me think of what he said, he, he classified outcomes as being instructional outcomes, and then we have accountability outcomes. And I think this is an important thing for us to think about, and it goes to what you were just saying, Scott. What are the purpose? Why do we need standards? Do the standards outline what we're going to teach and then what we're going to assess and hopefully have our students learn? 
And then also, what do we as a profession want to be held accountable for collectively as a group? And I think, I think there may be a little difference in how we, you know, regardless of what standards we choose, when we have instructional outcomes in mind, I think we'll prioritize in most of us in a consistent way. When it comes to accountability outcomes, maybe it might be a little bit different because of the realities of teaching in schools. You know, I'm thinking of most of the secondary teachers that I teach here that teach 40 students in every single class period, seven periods a day. For them to assess, you know, like they need to, to, to document student learning is very difficult. If we wanted to hang our hat on a certain accountability outcome, what would that be? And how do our, how are accountability outcomes different than instructional outcomes? Thanks, Tyler. Um, any, any feedback on there? Any other comments on that topic? So if any of the peak collaborative members, if, you, if you've seen anything in the, in the chat, I haven't been able to keep up with it. If you have things in there that you feel may be, uh, may be worthwhile to propose to, uh, to the rest of the panelists or anybody, anybody in general that wants to address any of it, uh, feel free to chime in. Um, or if you have another question to a specific panelists, I think one of the best things that's come out of this is that we can see how diverse our um, our kind of lines of research or lines of thinking and what we privilege and what we, what we value across, um, across the faculty of, of higher education, Pete. So I think it's really interesting to see. Um, Risto, if I might, there was some comments in the chat, I think that are worthwhile mentioning around um, impact. And I think it goes back to what Laura was talking a little bit about as this notion of, um, you know, we have things in our profession, right? So the um, PE metrics was mentioned um, by Jen and some things in there um, as well around um, some of the work that was done for assessment and whether or not teachers are actually using it. And this notion that we often use the standards as such a large part of teacher preparation, but then that doesn't necessarily translate into practice as the last few speakers have kind of um, alluded to. And so I guess, you know, a question maybe for the whole group is this notion of like, are we even off base with the development of standards or should we be going back to um, Jen Walton Facet's comment at the beginning of like, what is the purpose of PE? We've had this conversation in the PE collaborative before of what is the purpose of PE. Um, and we've been having this conversation as a field forever. And as I sit here and with all of the panelists that were talking, I agreed with every single one of you that things that you were saying were very important for us to consider in a profession, in our profession. And so I just wonder if there's any group of standards, even if we had 50 that could encompass all of the things that, that we all value as important in our field. And so I don't know if that's a question or just a comment or if anyone wants to respond to that. Jamie, I, I have to run off because I, um, I have physical therapy, I had hip surgery, but I really want to address your point here. Um, I think it's the way that the standards and outcomes are currently written as highly prescriptive that shut off creativity, it shuts off innovation, and it, it really is a low trust model of our teachers and of our students. 
And to answer your question around what's the purpose of physical education, I would argue, and perhaps this is because I'm Deleuzean, is because there is not one single purpose, but rather there are purposes. And those purposes are plentiful and they take on different forms and they manifest differently depending on context. So when thinking about standards and when thinking about the theories that Colin was saying that needs to drive this, what theories can we use that break open creativity, that break open pedagogical in, uh, innovation rather than shut it down? If we're gonna transform the field, it's gonna be done by putting our faith in our professionals and giving them the tools to be creative, not by telling them what to do. Sorry, I have to run off. Thanks, Dylan. Other, other comments to the, to the rest of the uh, panelists? We got some, uh, some time still here. I make a point, Christo. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, the, the point is uh, when we look at the standards, uh, whatever learning standards or teacher, uh, begin teacher standards, so we need to keep a content in mind. Um, the curriculum itself, what do we teach? So I always ask the question what is the knowledge uh, that is most worth? So that is something uh, very important uh, in my mind. Uh, by doing that, we can reflect on our self, on our content, and also uh, allow us to look at other subject matter in the school. Uh, so physical education is institutionalized content at this point. Uh, but if we are teaching something that everybody else can come in and uh, teach it without proper training, uh, we're gonna be in trouble. Uh, or if anybody can teach it in YMCA, backyards, um, those places, and then we're gonna be in trouble. So this is about the value of the content. So uh, we need to think about that as well when we create uh, standards. Thanks, Ong. Uh, Clancy Seymour, go ahead. Thanks, Risto. I just wanted to uh, piggyback off of Dylan's point that perhaps we can, and, and Jen uh, mentioned it in the chat as well, where we think about or look at examples like New Zealand and Australia, where we think about, you know, setting up uh, creativity and, and then piggybacking, not only off of Dylan's point, but uh, Dr. Vandermar's point as well, that instead, you know, if we go down this road, we can go through a less is more type of philosophy, allowing PE programs from around the country to align and set up their programs that are meaningful in their own ways while still aligning to that to those benchmarks, whatever those benchmarks may be. Thanks, Clancy. Uh, go ahead. Well, thank you. Hey, Fran Cleland from Westchester University. Um, I am on the Shape America Task Force. I'll just say that because I can announce that myself. And uh, I'll tell you, in the last few years, my learning curve has been huge, reading social justice, transformative education. My husband's getting his master's in restorative studies. So I think all those parts are incredibly valuable and I really appreciate people's you know, foresight in that. 
With that being said, um, I wish Dylan was still on here because um, I think we're talking about two different things, standards for children to, or to guide uh, our teacher's instruction, but the creativity and the manner in which one delivers those standards or addresses, that comes from a pedagogical perspective. For example, if I wanna teach bouncing, I may not do it with a direct teaching style. I may use Mostyn's uh, guided discovery to get a child to learn, you know, use the ball in several ways. So maybe the standards document needs to also have some pedagogical component to it so that teachers can use their own creativity and also make them culturally relevant um, for them. So I, th I think maybe we have the standards, but then we also have to have a, an accompanying pedagogical, I would say, guideline. Thank you for that. Um, comments on that? Open comments for uh, anything else. We have about uh, five more minutes on the on the call here. Um, Go ahead, Tyler. Well, I, I'm actually I don't have a comment myself. I'm I'm just actually hoping that uh, Nate Babcock. I know he's on the call. Um, I think he shared a presentation to it, it was an international group of, uh, with Margaret Whitehead about physical literacy. Nate, I think uh, if you're okay with me putting you on the spot, I, I think it'd be great if you would be willing to share kind of your, your quickly, uh, your standpoint on, you know, what we're about in physical education, because I think it relates uh, in a very important way to what we're discussing today. Okay, I was going to say I was not allowed to unmute. I think Risto did that on purpose, but he just freed me up. Uh, first of all, Tyler, good to hear from you, by the way. Um, and thanks for bringing me into this. So when I listen to everybody's opinions here, uh, and Jamie, like you said, you know, it's everybody's right to a degree here. Um, and I just think that we have, I don't think we know what it's for. And I don't know that we could ever really know what it's for, but we can certainly try to develop something of a loose identity, like a soft core or a sea anchor. I love those terms. Something we could ground our practice in that, that still makes us what we are, but also, um, you know, opens up practice. And, and I think things that are overly prescriptive are, are dangerous. And now in one sense, you know, we're talking about social justice here. This would be like an emancipatory project here, like education as an emancipatory project. Um, but it's not in practice. It's, it's, you know, kind of guided by a neoliberal logic where everything is reduced to a set of uh, very narrow, you know, accountability metrics. And I think while that, if we align with that kind of logic, it helps us to survive, but it doesn't unleash our potential as, as a subject. And so perhaps maybe one thing we need to do is, is kind of align with that project in one sense to stay alive, but we, we cannot speak that language to each other and buy into that, that program. And, you know, like Dylan was saying, you know, open up practice. Our, our subject is more of an art than it is anything else. And, and standards and other, um, I don't know about the grade level outcomes, but you know, standards could be guides that can help us to open up practice in a sense. But you know, when students do anything in our class, they are representing and demonstrating knowledge. And so the question is what knowledge counts? Is it the student who does it this way? That's the only knowledge that counts? And if so, why is that the only knowledge that counts? 
So if this particular type of throwing technique is the only knowledge that counts and therefore you get this kind of grade, you know, who does that privilege? You know, it privileges just some people and maybe, you know, some, some parts of the discourse. But so I think it's, it goes back to a purpose of education. What's the purpose of education we're working with? Is, is, it is an emancipatory one or is it a neoliberal one? That's the first question we have to ask. And then from there, I think we can go into then what could, what could PE be? Is it, is it physical activity? Or is it kind of like the body, like I talk about in that presentation? It's this, this lived and relational body, which includes movement, but it includes other things that we wouldn't consider movement, like breath work and other things and, and uh, social justice perspectives on the body and body identity, because we would do those kinds of things in PE, but those things would not be MVPA and they wouldn't be considered physical activity, yet they belong in our subject. So if we do things that aren't movement or quote unquote physical activity in PE, then PE is more than physical activity and movement, isn't it? So that's why I think we really have to get into, into this question of what is our what? You know, what's a good what? We'll never be able to finally answer it, but what's, what's a better what than what we've got and what's a better why? Thanks, Nate. Um, I mean, th this has been such a great session because we've heard from so many different points of view and, and, I, and I agree that everybody, like was said previously, like everybody has something that they're saying, right. Like we're all coming at this in, in the viewpoint of we're trying to help children. No one's coming in to like hinder children. Like that's not our goal here. Like everybody's trying to do the right thing. Um, I think a lot of great points have been brought up of who's at the table when those decisions are made. And if we're not putting the right people at the table, then inadvertently we may miss certain learning outcomes or certain students or, um, certain parts of physical education. So um, I do like that there is a review process in, in, in place for SHAPE. Um, I, I love the fact that we've, we've talked from a ton of different viewpoints. Again, there's structural issues and Hans has brought this up, Ang has brought this up, Kevin, that we don't have enough time. Like there's just not enough time that is privileged. We, uh, you know, people have talked about giving teachers more power to make decisions. And if you go to different countries, you see that. You see that teachers are privileged to make choices. And there's like a loose guiding system. And then the teachers write the curriculum, the teachers follow uh, what they're doing. But some of those countries are taking the top five, 10% of applicants to teachers colleges that get in to become teachers. And so we, we have all of these different dynamics in the US without a national curriculum, with a ton of different standards and different states and overarching calls or recommendations from shape that don't have the bite that we want. Um, so I think it's been a, it's been a great session. Uh, it's at 5.15, so we're gonna uh, end the recording here, but um, you're more than welcome to stick around and uh, hang out, talk, uh, for another 15 minutes, but I know people have places to go. Um, so I really appreciate all of you coming on. Um, we're gonna skip April for the next Peak Collaborative because of Shape America and AERA conferences. It, it gets kind of busy during that time, uh, but we'll come back for the uh, end of the uh, school year. Um, but I wanna thank everybody. The recording is gonna be on the podcast uh, the HP podcast, playing research in health and physical education. So there are colleagues that you haven't, uh, that you know were not here, um, that you want to send that over. 
Um, if you're not receiving the emails, um, we, we moved to a different database. So if you got the email, it's great. If you haven't gotten the emails, uh, send me uh, an email, risto at thpwebsite.com, and then I'll add you to the list so you don't miss out on the, uh, on the future ones. So uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll end the recording here, and um, I'll go to Hans.